לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. כל רמה, מאה ושתיים שלוש, Welcome to another edition of Parsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Malamud. Joining me as always, Rabbi Barry Chesler and Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky. Shalom, guys. And shalom, shalom. Anticipatory Thanksgiving. We're recording this on uh, Arab Thanksgiving. We are very, very delighted to be with you. Thank you for taking us into your homes, listening and watching to us. Uh, watching us. You can email us at parshatalk at gmail.com with all of your Bible questions, your Parsha questions. We are delighted to share this time with you. And let's get right into it. Parshat Vayetze. This is um, a very, very important Parsha, as we say every week. Every Parsha is an important Parsha. One of the, one of the 50, 55 most important Parshas. I think so, because it's all about journey. It's all about... And that will stop when we can no longer say it's important. Vayetze, how does it start? It says... Okay, just to recap, Jacob is running away from Esau. He's running away from Esau because Esau wants to kill him. That's what we learned last week. He's also running to Lavan's household, that's Rivka's brother, in order to marry. Why? Because Rivka does not want him to marry both of them. Rivka and Yitzchak don't want him to marry from the Canaanites. We talked about that. He goes on right. the beauty of the Parsha, in part, is that the uh, the separation between the end of last week and the beginning of this week, because the that's just a description of a journey. It's not fraught with any meaning as of yet, if we forget about last week. Right? Last week he was running away. This week he's you know taking a trip. Do you really think so? I think there there is an element here of trying to escape not only the land, not only a situation, but I think a, a piece of his conscience. I, I have a, a lovely comment here, and it's, uh, People can flee their pursuers while never breaking free of their conscience. They can't break free of their conscience and their past. That's got your... Jakovic, he's uh, an Israeli uh, scholar, Bible scholar. In other words, there's a psychological dimension to this. But before we get into any other dimension, Barry, why don't you share with us the Rashi comment on the first pasuk there? Because I think it has a lot of uh, great meaning for us. So it's actually related to our conversation. So Rashi picks up on the idea that the verse mentions both the place where Yaakov left, Beersheba, and the place where he's going to, Haran, and says, quite rightly, that we already know he's leaving Beersheba because that was last week. And so his comment is that, that when a tzaddik leaves a place, it makes an impression. He takes with it the glory, the splendor, the beauty of the place with him. And it raises the question, I think, one that I like to discuss with my high school students, is what kind of impressions do we want to 
take with us and what kind of impressions do we want to leave behind? But I think, Elliot, to the point of our earlier conversation is that we would not have described Yaakov as a Sadiq last week. Here, fresh on a new journey, we could describe him as a Sadiq. It fits in with the beginning of the Parsha. It doesn't really fit the end of last week's Parsha. Look, I, I know we're integrating the, the, the Midrash and the rabbinic tradition on, on Yaakov. You know, and in a sense, there is a, the, the disjunction that is geographical enables him to sort through things. And, and perhaps we could redefine what being a tzaddik means. Being a tzaddik is, is you're not a, you know, you don't start out as a tzaddik in life. You really have to work to it. And you have to be someone who, who is challenged morally, constantly, all the time. And that maybe, I mean, that, that's certainly encapsulated in Rashi's comment. Is it encapsulated in the words vayifgaba makom? Uh, Jeremy, you want to pick up on those two words, vayifgaba makom? We have to. I want to, I want to get there in a second. Yeah. Uh, I want to note that, you know, that I think the meaning of that, Rashi, is that when the tzaddik leaves, the place is different. So the covenantal project of Abraham and, and Sarah and, and Isaac and Rebecca has now shifted focus, and it's it's happening in Mesopotamia now. So Beersheba isn't the same place it was anymore in the absence of Yaakov. Um, so I, I, th I think that, uh, that of course, the deceptive thing that he wrestles with, and that great Zakovich quote that you gave us, Elliot, that you can never, you can't fool yourself. Wherever you go, there you are, right? You can't run away from yourself. That's very intense and absolutely true. Um, and and so we, Yaakov is having to wrestle with those things uh, and is going to, of course, next week in the in the most intense way of all, rest, have to wrestle with himself. But... I think that part of the claim is is that you know it's it's not the same Beersheba anymore. Um, he's you know, and I want to share with you also one great passage from the Zohar. In in the Zohar, the um, the the powers of evil or the dark forces in the world are called the Sitra Achra, the other side, the the Achra, and the they're turning on this line. But Yitzchak Yaakov mi Beersheba, he leaves the realm of the Sfirot, the seven lower Sfirot, Vaelech Harana. And he goes to the other side. He's got to have an encounter with all of the dark forces in the world as he goes out to, to meet Lavan and have to deal with all, all of that uh, difficult stuff, which I, I think is, is a, great story, a great comment about journeys, right? Because when you journey from the familiar to the unfamiliar, you meet the other. And we could, we could mean that in that Zoharic sense of the other forces, the dark forces, or we could just mean it in a description of how it is that we encounter the great big wide world that we're unfamiliar with. So, so here it's worth jumping ahead, I think. He's going to be wounded by his journey, right? He's going to be coming back into the land limping. And it makes me wonder whether we might see him wounded as he goes on his way to Haran with his dealings with Levan and both coming and going. When he meets him, when he's tricked into marrying Leah, and when he leaves in the middle of the night with his daughters, his children, and his flocks. So would you say that, and, and here back to Vaif Gaba Makom, mm -hmm. is, that, is there something, you know, embedded in the word Vaif Gaba? I mean, today, yeah. in modern Hebrew, Pigua is, is an attack. Pigua is like, as we would say, it's a real body check. You know, you get a Pigua. <laughs> Canadians would say that. It's, you get really slammed into the boards with a Pigua, you know. I mean, it flattens you, but it's also, I mean, there's a spiritual dimension to Vaivka. And Jeremy, what, you, what you're saying is that, that this geographical journey is not only a geographical thing, it's really 
uh, a journey into the unknown. It's 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 classic in in the terms of the folkloric motif of of the the hero embarking onto from the known to the unknown. And and I always like to point out that that we have a set of boundaries here that he is going to cross over a river as a boundary, and he's and he will cross over another river as a on the way back. And the 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 story is loaded with um, markers. And they are specifically stone markers that are, uh, to this day, stone uh, functions as a, a boundary marker. You know, you can walk, you can journey around many places in uh, the United States and see stone markers that indicated either mile markers. It's called a milestone. Milestone. Right. <laughs> I always think, as long as we're talking about, as long as we're talking about, uh, you know, having these conversations about, we got, we all got to know each other in camp. But, I always lo love to go running up at camp and run to Bulls Bridge where you pass the Connecticut, New York border. And there's a milestone. It's a, it's a marker. It's a stone marker, right? Yeah, it's, it's great. So, Vaif Gaba Makom is, is a very, is the poet, the poetry and the poetic power of Vaif Ga is, is very, very rich. Um, he happened upon the place. Well, I think the simple semantic translation is he happened upon this particular place which because of the revelation that he's going to get, he lays his head down on the stone and, and has this sp spectacular vision um, because of the revelation he's going to get. And he's going to wake up and say, oh, my God, if I had known that this was such a special place, I never would have taken a nap here. Uh, Lo and behold, this turns out to be none other than the gateway to heaven. And so we have a tradition that he was at the spot of the Beit HaMikdash. It's a little confusing as Rashi talks us through because it tells us that it's at Beit El, and Beit El is not the site of the Beit Hamikdash. So, so Rashi tells right, us. But he's understanding Beit El is the house of God, not the geographic location. So Rashi tells us that the that the ladder has a an angle that that passes from from where he is over Beit El. But Vayifgabam um, simply means you know he he happened upon this special place, didn't know, and had an amazing revelation, but there's a, a wordplay that the sages make in the Gemara that, you know, Abraham, when he stands before God, is saying Shacharit, and when Isaac is meditating in the field, he's saying Mincha, and Jacob, when he Yifgaba Makom, which can mean, as, as Elliot said, it can mean an attack, like a terrorist attack, Pogea is to, is to wound, and, and maybe there's an aspect of prayer that is like grabbing God by the lapels and yelling at God, but it also may mean simply the entreaty or the approach or the prayer. And makom, of course, is a epithet for God. So Gaba makom means he ran into and prayed before, or maybe even attacked and yelled at uh, the makom God. But the the unexpected part of it, when he when he has the dream and and says, "I didn't even know where I was. I was I was totally unaware of the specialness of the moment, the specialness of the place." It suggests that he's not anticipating uh, a sacred experience. And, and you know, we, we can ask ourselves whether the most revelatory moments in our lives, our spiritual lives, are those that we've worked and prayed and, and prepared for and meditated towards, or whether the things that catch us, you know, unawares, catch us by surprise. And that's a big spiritual, that's a big spiritual element of surprise. There's a, a great Rav Cook teaching on this, that said, you know, Jacob, when he wakes up the next morning, he says, oh, or wakes up at the dream and says, oh, you know, I didn't realize how special it was. 
if I had known, I wouldn't have gone to sleep. As Rashi says, as Rav Cook said, Jacob didn't want the unawares revelation. He wanted to work for it. He didn't want the gift. He wanted to earn it, which I think is an interesting comment. Well, is it determined by, you know, the context? He is running. He is, it's geographical. It, he is at, uh, a, a, you know, literally a crossroads in his life. Do we not get um, experiences, we would call it liminality or peak experiences at the, at, the, at the precise boundary between the known and the unknown? And, and, and here, here is a perfect illustration of it. Not only that, but we're, we're getting this, this remarkable vision of the, um, the angels going up and down the, the sulam, which is, we often translate it as a ladder, but it's probably more like an elevated platform which, uh, you know, I quoted Djokovic before, he says, remarkably, it's like a, uh, an inversion of the Tower of Babel or story. It's, a, it's, or it's an answer to the Babel. We won't have to go into that. But it's, the point is that, that all of this is coming to him precisely at the moment when he is, he is at, at, in, a, in a peak awareness, I think. That's, a, that's what, you're, what you're saying. Yeah. The openness, openness to surprise is one whole spiritual modality. And, and that's, Jacob certainly is unawares, but open to, open to that surprise and it makes it possible. Well, or he could be aware of something else. And it may be that he is trying to leave God behind as well. And that's why God appears to him. That he is not looking for a place of God, which he very well might, right? He's alone at night. He's, I assume, worried about what will happen at night. He's in a place where he perhaps has not been. And um, he ends up with this encounter with God. And it's, in one sense, it's God reminding him that he can't escape God either. Well, what you're saying is actually fascinating because in, in pre-monotheistic religion, gods, the gods were localized. And, mm -hmm. and so what you have here is really a breakthrough in the evolution of monotheism in which he is, God is not localized to the land of Israel. God is, is going to go with him to, to uh, Haran, to Levan's household and be with him there. That, that is critically what, what is going on here. Let, let's, let's advance to, so he makes the, the neder, he makes a, a vow. And of course we could, we could spend a whole uh, hour on, you know, the, the, the difference between the way God speaks to him and he speaks to God. He, he, He's very specific. I want to return to my father's household. And God has basically said, no, you'll come back to the land. And there are other things that are going on there that we, we don't have time or a magnifying glass to look at. But then in the very next scene, and, and the, the Torah, we have to, we always kind of remark on the literary beauty of the Torah, compresses the journey. He goes, he lifts his feet, and then the very next verse, he, he just gets there. He's like, he's Scotty, beam me aboard. You know, he, gets, <laughs> he gets beamed to Haran. It's, a, it's quite a long journey on foot, and, and he, he arrives. And, and typically, you know, according to our, our beautiful stories, he arrives at the well. And, and who does he encounter? Whom does he encounter at the well? And what goes on there? Totally surprised. Nobody saw this coming. He's going to go to the well. Every, all the all the biblical characters meet their meet their wives at, at wells. It's like uh, it's the type scene of the of the Tanakh, the Torah. And lo and behold, of course, he meets Rachel, and it's love at first sight, or it's like it's just out of a past life. 
Vaishak Yaakov Lurachel, Vaisa, and 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 he he kisses her and he cries, Vaisat Kolova Yevk, and he and he lifts up his voice and cries in this moment of like overwhelming emotion and passion. Have you ever commented on the onomatopoeia in the story? I always commented on this in my show. It's like she is tending to the sheep. Rachel Bito Ba. Bito Ba. She is coming with the with the with the with the sheep. Okay. And and of course. I want to add, Jeremy, the way that you described it reminded me of Isaac when Rivka came. Because yeah. Isaac also cried and he was comforted for the loss of his mother and Jacob also was comforted by Rachel for the loss of his mother. So, so he so, left behind in Eretz Israel. So there's there's a lovely set of midrash. I know, a lovely set of, of commentary on this because he is saying, "I have nothing." Look, when when uh, Eliezer came to the well, he was he was loaded with a whole caravan and goods and 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 all sorts of precious gifts, a meme, gold bands, everything. He was a whole jewelry store, and. What does Jacob have? Nothing. No, that's not true. He has his strength because he is able to remove the rock. Fine. Okay. Well, so think about it just for a moment. Eliezer wants Rivka to water, give him water and water his flocks. But Jacob is going to allow everyone to water their flocks. And I I don't think we should um, overlook that. I think you're right, and and I would add to one thing. You know, I, I would say he has no material possessions. That's he's for got, sure. Okay, he's got nothing, nothing in his pocket. However, he's got strength, and as we'll see by Yishla, he has he he has an awareness of his potential. And, you know, we'll talk about it next. Kiva Makli. When I go over the, I went over this the the river with my my staff. I only had my potential, and and. So while he is crying, he's crying because he has nothing, or he's crying because, according, you know, he he's ha- he has a vision, and the vision is it's it's tragic. The vision is that he's going to lose her. I mean, and this is really, I think, a moment where where love is is compressed. The tragic element of love in that the rec- there's a recognition that it's you know all all good things have to come to an end, and even love itself will 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 end with the with with the the end of life you know end of your life and and there is a tremendous you know you're holding on to that moment of of great pathos here i we have right. a lot and of- then you have to get to kohela where love is stronger than death indeed indeed okay so what happens next we're going to gloss over you know just a, a little thing but but uh he, he's in love with her he decides he, he he wants to marry her and he makes the bargain the bar, the deal of the century, Jeremy. The Levan, deal. Of- Levan, the sneaky father-in-law, never can be trusted. He, Jacob agrees to work seven years, and he can, and he can marry Rachel, and it's and he loves her so much, and they seem like yamim achadim. They seem like just a few days. Those seven long years of labor. And so, we, we we know that though, that phrase yamim achadim was the same phrase that Rivka used. When she said, you'll just go for a couple of days, yamim achadim, right? But the seven years look like yamim achadim. And that's how they come out. And he marries, he has a big wedding 
but you know it's the Middle East and they wear veils and and so uh, he spends the night with the bride and the next morning he discovers that a switcheroo has happened and and he's been with Leia the whole time uh, and he's 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 been he's been he's been bamboozled and they say to him well in our country it's not done to privilege the younger before the elder and this is the Torah's one of the Torah's favorite um, uh, narrative techniques is called midah keneged midah it's measure for measure what goes around comes around what happens to you happens you know what, what you do to someone else is going to happen again to you so in case you think that the Torah was totally cool with with Jacob deceiving Isaac to get the blessing in place of his older brother Esau, you, you know that actually the same thing is going to happen here in which Jacob is going to be the one who is bamboozled and get, marry the, the person he doesn't really want to marry because of these same expectations about elders and youngers. So they say to him, well, in our country, unlike where you're coming from, uh, we keep the birth order. And they give him a little, a little, you know, a little thumb in the eye. And there's a wonderful midrash that <laughs> that uh, is. He says to Leah the next morning, "What well, in in the throes of passion? I kept calling Rachel, Rachel, and you kept answering me." And she said, "You know, that reminds me of when when Yitzhak asked you, Asav, Asav, and you answered him." So. This is this is how it goes, right? This what goes around comes around, and she says to him in that midrash a great line: uh, "Every sage has his students." So I learned it from you, big guy. Well, so can we just ask the obvious question, which is, how how did this happen? How 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 did he not know? I, I... well, I don't think the question is how did he know; is when did he know? It says, he, woke, he wakes up and behold, she's Leah. I think the answer is Arak. Arak. <laughs> it's, not in, Iraq, it's, in Iraq, Iraq. it's in Iraq, but it involved lots of Arak. So it was between Arak and a hard place. Okay. Right. So that brings us back to the Noah story, perhaps. <laughs> Interesting. Nice connection. Nice and connection. but I want to say something. And else. also to to Lot. So yeah. Right. yeah. But the other piece of it is that. I think that the episode bespeaks the importance of place because when Yaakov goes to Padan Aram to Haran, he becomes one of them. Not necessarily by choice, but he keeps Leah. I assume he could have gone off in a huff and gone back home, but he stay, he sticks around. And that's why it's so important that, you know, next week that he's going to actually come back to the land of Israel because when you're in Galut, you act like you're in Galut and you cannot retain your Israeliteness, let us say, outside of the land. But that undercut, undercuts what you, what you said so beautifully before about the, uh, the, the extension of monotheism, the extension of the divine presence. Um, you know, which I, which I firmly agree with. It's like also in the very beginning of Ezekiel, you know, Isaiah sees God in the heavenly temple, so to speak, in the Beit HaMikdash, and Ezekiel sees God in a chariot which moves. It goes with you to Babylon. Yeah. And and I think that, as you guys were saying before, Jacob might be at the borderline, and he sees the angels, Olim Viordim, by tradition, the, the Eretz Yisrael angels leaving, and the 
and the Chutzla Aretz, the, the uh, diaspora angels coming. Um, but, but it's true that he is going to have and will have throughout his time with Levan, he'll continue to have this relationship. So in a certain sense, you could say that it's the, the, Eretz, Yisrael, the Eretz Yisraeli character that led him not to cut and run on Leah because the okay. shame, the shame that would have attended to that poor Miskena would have just been awful. And he comes through for her. He mans up and he, he stays her and to and gets Rachel. But it's a, his time in, with his father-in-law is a challenge. And he's tested over and over again. And you know, it remains to be seen whether he pulls through completely the way that we want him to, or whether he is stained, let us say, by by the land and by Laban. But but hovering over him is the echo of the promise that there's going to be a nation and that that the nation has not yet come into being. And so he knows that he has to begin producing a nation. And I think I think that is part of his self-awareness. In addition to the complexity that we said at the beginning, he's running away from himself. He's got this mission also, which is to, to be the founder. And he's also, I think he's got the memory of his grandfather uh, who was devoted to his early family. I think that Avraham's journey and taking Sarah and taking Lot with him was about the commitment to family. And it's not an accident. The Torah, the Torah is so, so focused on the creation of family as the, as the crucible of the moral life, the crucible of, of the covenant, the way we transmit the covenant. And here, he, 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 it's, it's layered. He's got to have, he wants to create the family in order to create the nation. He wants to create the family in order to, uh, to you know, begin this very significant chapter. Right. And here we have to recognize that half of his family comes from Leah. Indeed. Rachel, in terms of offspring, is no better than a handmaid. She has the same number of each of the two handmaids. And Leah has as many boys as the three of them together, plus a daughter. So fascinating. So let's take it. Let's go into that part of the story, because it, it, it is a very rich part of the Parsha here, where they begin to have children. Jeremy, take us into this. Uh, this, is, this is one of my favorite passages in the, in the whole Torah, because it gets into the emotional sensitivity of the Torah to the character of Leah. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a davener with the Imahot. I like putting the, the Imahot in, in the beginning of the Amidah. And, you know, I, sometimes we'll think about the different, the different characters and the stories that, that attend upon them. And with Leah, the element of what she has to go through as the unloved or the unwanted is just heartbreaking. It's so sad. So exactly as you said, she is the, the matriarchal figure par excellence Sarah, you know, Bakoshi has one child, and Rebecca Bakoshi has one child, and Rachel Bakoshi has two children, one of which will kill her. Leah is Kigefen Poriah. She's she's the fruitful vine. She's the mother of six of the children. And the names that she gives the children are heartbreakingly, you know, the, the sensitivity is so deep. So she is the first child, it's Ruven. Ki amra ki ara'a adunai be'onyi. I call my son Reuven, the word means sight, see the child, because she says, God saw my suffering, now my husband will love me. Doesn't come through. 
Then this Vatahar od Vatelet Ben, she gets pregnant again, has another child, and she she says, Ki Shama Adonai Ki Snua Anochi. God has heard how unloved I am and given me this child also. She calls him Shimon, which means listening. Then she has a third child, and she says, Hapam This time, this time, finally, my husband will walk beside me. And so she calls him Levi. And that doesn't happen again. Three children, three disappointments, and those names meaning her longing for his love never comes through. And then the fourth one, which is so awesome, and especially good for Thanksgiving Day, this time I will thank God. So therefore she calls him Yehuda as a gesture of thanks. The first three times she's hoping to win the unwinnable love from Yaakov. And the fourth time she just turns to God and, and thanks God for her blessings. And I just think that's like astonishingly beautiful. So ironically, she's the pious one of the four patriarchs. And, you know, there's something of a controversy that she's often mentioned after Rachel because Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. And so Rachel is given precedence. But in fact, she is the crown of the patriarchs in many ways because she is the one that contributes the the piety and the religious message and the conversation with God. You think of Sarah in the presence of God, she laughs. Rivka questions God, right? If this is what's going on with me. What do I need this for? And Rachel, frankly, her gods are her father's gods, not exactly our God. He offers, Rachel, Rachel contemplates suicide. Give me children, vim ayin meta. Or give me death. I'd rather die unless I get what I want. Yeah, Patrick Henry picked up on that later. <laughs> he changed it to liberty. Wow. It, it, you know, I'm drawing the connection between this week and last week. Because last week, Jeremy, you said the same thing about Esau. The, the Torah really has this tremendous sensitivity to the underdog and, and, um, and to, the, to the wronged party. And Esau in the past week. And Hagar also, you know, is, is considerably wrong. The Torah. Right, so what each of them share is that they're the first, right? Hagar is the first wife. Leah is the older sister. Esau is the older brother. And even though the trope of the Torah is that the younger is going to prevail, the Torah also shows its respect to the older as the underdog. When the older is displaced, the Torah goes into that. And so we're left with this great tension, right? We want, yeah, go on. I just want to say that we have to, we're running out of time. We want to fast forward to the end where, where there is this, again, another disjunction where, where through a series of events, Yaakov has to return to Canaan, and and one of the events is he's he himself is running away, and 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 another one of these moments is where God basically says it's time it's time to go back. He goes back, he runs back, and um, uh, he he runs like stealth with with stealth. Lavan runs after him, catches up to him, and the two have it out, and and it's an extraordinary moment. We we can't go into the 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 text here. It's an extraordinary moment, but it ends with. They, they make a covenant. They make a covenant. And Barry, they, they, they make a mound of stones, basically. What happened? So they need some kind of memorial for the treaty that they've just entered into. And so they create this mound, um, Galaid in Hebrew, Sagar Yahaduta in Aramaic. These are the two words of Aramaic that appear in the Torah. 
And um, what's fascinating to me is that they build this mound of stones. They each go their own way. Levan back east, Yaakov to the west, and they never see this mound of stones again. Right, it's just there to mark this treaty between Levan and Yaakov, and they will never see it again. And the question that comes up sometimes is what gives the stones meaning? And the only thing that gives these stones meaning is the narrative, which if you don't know it, renders the stones meaningless. I would go one step further and say the fact that they are in two languages uh, indicates... Well, that's because you're into a sign? <laughs> that's what? <laughs> Are you going one step further into Eretz Yisrael or back no, to? No, I want to uh, say that th this is this is as symbolic a boundary as you can get. It's an ethnic linguistic boundary, and it basically says, "I am going to differentiate myself from you." Period. You call this Yigar Saaduta, I call this Galade. We are Hebrews here, man. Right. You have to get a visa to come into this land, basically. You just got it. When you come here, you got to speak my language. It's it's. I mean, there's 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 some defiance here. Well, it's it's interesting that you say that because I, I, which I I certainly do agree that this is a boundary story and the 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 little the theft of the household gods is an interesting piece because it's not going to be for a little while that Jacob makes the people bury all. It's, it's in. Is it next week? Next week, Parsha that Jacob chapter thirty five. Yeah. You know, makes makes the people bury the idols that that they have with them. Uh, so the idols do come with them a little bit. Uh, I, I'm I'm going to be agnostic about this. It's it's a boundary story, but we are talking about a book that does include both the Hebrew and the Aramaic, and and uh, I think that every you know Abraham and and Rebecca and Yaakov they have to make the journey from absolutely Hadan Aram to to Eretz Yisrael that's the defining moment as they cross that border and yet the border is itself part of the story yeah interesting fascinating right and you as we said as you said at the beginning Elliot you you can't escape your past and that's why, in part, uh, we have to have Levan's name. Thank you for correcting my mispronunciation of Yagar Sahaduta, because that's part of the Israelite past as well. And it, I just, you know, it, it's a funny thing. A lot of us don't spell as well in Hebrew as as we might like. So the question was asked today whether there's a connection between Trafim and Traif. And we know that the trafim are treif, but not because they're treif in the sense of the expression, because that's spelled with a tet, not with a top. Trafim, the household um, gods. But, right, the household gods are called trafim, which has its own meaning, unrelated to what we refer to unkosher meat as. Yeah, interesting. It's, uh, yeah, and again, we have this combination of languages Yiddish and Hebrew, and sometimes they shed interesting light in an unintentional way on each other. Wow. Well, right. we have to put the boundary on our conversation. We're, we're just getting started here. Uh, this, this parsha, it's amazing to me. This Parsha, these Parshiot in Breshit, we, we should, you know, we, we could have like two or three a week. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we got Thanksgiving. I think one of the things that I want to say I'm thankful for most, this opportunity. This has been great part of our year. We've said this before prior to Rosh Hashanah, but I'll say it as part of Thanksgiving. I'm thankful to have the opportunity to have a Chavruta every week to share this 
Torah with everyone, and we are enjoying it. We wish everyone a beautiful Thanksgiving and a good Shabbos. Shabbos. See you next week on another edition of Parsha Torah. All right, guys.